Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. We're going to come to the table of the Lord. Thank you, son. Today we're going to come to the table of the Lord. It's, uh, we do this at the beginning of the new year. And uh, I really want to try to get to a specific point. Um, there's hardly a Saturday night or a Sunday morning where I'm not speaking with a pastor of another church somewhere about the Word of God. And I just a text message or a call and say, hey, talk to me about this. And such was the case this morning, and my heart was ignited with what we got to talk about. Um, but I want to come to, a, as we come to the table of the Lord this morning, and we do have our children here, so I want to speak to parents. And parents, if you are here with your children, I would encourage you to take them home and discuss this with them, uh, to go to the places in Scripture that I'll reference here this morning, to tell the story that's being told. Because ultimately, listen, though as we come to the table of the Lord, this, there is a piece of bread and some juice from the vine, grape juice, okay? That is uh, similar and representative of the last, what we call the Last Supper in the Bible, it's recorded in John 13, amongst other places, but the Last Supper. Now, the Last Supper was what was known in the Bible, and you really need to know this stuff as a Passover meal. Now, when I tell you it was the Last Supper, it was really the Last Supper. You see, because the Passover meal was a provision that started way back about 3,500 years ago, 3,800 years ago in the Old Testament when the people of God were coming out of 400 years of captivity in Egypt. They came out of captivity in Egypt, and God said, I'm going to deliver you from captivity, from 400 years of slavery. I'm going to begin taking you out there to the land I promised to give you 400 years ago, and the celebration you're going to have is when you leave on this night, a lamb will be sacrificed, and in Exodus 11 and 12, it says, take a lamb for every household. And that language is so powerful, because if you fast forward from that about 1,800 years to what we know to be John chapter 1, John the Baptist, not to be confused with John, the writer of the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John records John the Baptist saying some words. It's important to note that John the Baptist was a good Jewish boy who was a son of the priest who understood the Passover meal. The Passover meal was celebrated every year to celebrate the exodus from captivity and bondage, and when, listen, when the angel of death passed over everyone, but it passed over and death didn't come to the household of Israel, but go back and read the story. It said, all the firstborn in the houses of Egypt that had kept them slaves for 400 years, all the firstborn passed away. You say, well, that was a bit cruel and excessive. Listen. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, every firstborn son would inherit the rights to the household, including the possession of the slaves. It is an important notion to notice what happened 
at the Passover, it said, all the firstborn. And while that is, it seems cruel and harsh that that happened, God was saying, you are my people. And when you celebrate the death of this lamb, when you celebrate this Passover, I want you to know that when you wake up tomorrow morning, the people who own you will be dead and the, those that will own you in the future, the firstborn of the household, who were slated to own you in your tomorrows, they will be dead. Why is that important? Because in John chapter 1, John the Baptist, a son of a priest, he looks and he sees Jesus walking towards him and he says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins. He looked at Jesus and where he grew up, not with a shiny plate and this, but where he saw the bread and the cup that celebrated the unleavened bread and the cup that celebrated that Passover meal, he said, what that lamb did in the Old Testament, severing you from captivity and guaranteeing the power in your tomorrow so that nothing could own you and nothing could hold you, that's the lamb coming at you right now. Three years later, Jesus would die on the cross and would become that lamb slain. Here is the good news that you say, wow, wouldn't that make an incredible Steven Spielberg movie if we could somehow convey what was happening in the realm of the spirit? Because the thing when we say, uh, sing, see, we just, I didn't know we were playing this thing. Sing the name of Jesus. Sing the name. What if we could write all those words? Sing the name of Jesus, who you've accepted as your Savior, who severed the ability of anything in your past to own you, and who has conquered anything in the future that would lay claim to dictate your life. That's the name of Jesus. So no matter what I walk through in 2019, or what I will face in 2020, or 2030, or a decade from now, the power of this lamb has not only delivered me from the bondage of my past, whatever was handed to me by my parents, but it is guaranteed in the future the power is already out there for anything that would lay claim to my life to hold me bondage. It has already severed that and already purchased that. That's why we clap and shout unto God. So when Paul, parents, know this story, and here's the deal. You say, I don't know that I can tell that story. Call me. I've given my phone number out to the whole world. Email me. Text me. I'll call you, walk you through it. As a matter of fact, I'll do this, a lamb for every home. If you want to have communion with your children in your home, you say, I don't know that I can tell that story. I'll come to your home and sit with you. I already did this. We did this four years ago. Met with everybody. They came here. But if you will risk inviting the preacher to your home, you don't have to fix supper. I'll bring juice and crackers. I'll sit and explain it to your children. You said you'd really do that? I'm not being dramatic. Yes, I would. Because in 2020, more than anything else, you need to know that you have a lamb for your home. When Exodus wrote, says there's not just a lamb for a nation, not just a lamb for a universe in some deistic fashion. We all believe there's a God out there, but entirely disengaged from the uniqueness of my life. He bothered to say pointedly, not just a lamb for the world, 
world. And John would say that, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. But he already set it up in the Old Testament. He said the world includes your home, and 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 your past, and your future, and your life. Let's give the Lord praise for that right now. He's worthy. Amen. So if I were to stand here today and say, if I told you one thing as you come to the table of the Lord to, to claim, and you say, claim, I'll get to that. I just, I titled this, Things You've Heard Here Through the Years If You've Attended, Making Up My Mind. We stand on the second Sunday of a new decade. Not just a new year, but a new decade. Yesterday morning I had a breakfast with a handful of young men and I asked them to think about that. On the, second, uh, on the second Saturday of 2030, where will they be? What will happen? What would you like to see God do in your life? Begin thinking about that. Not just what you're being delivered from, but what you're being delivered to. Is there any sense of future? Making up my mind. I'm going to, if I could tell you one thing, and oh man, I have to tell you, I'm my hardest. By the way, um, we're going to, I finished that sentence that I've been warned not to say over and over. My heart is full. Can I tell you this? The, the reason I don't do church well, that is Sunday morning in some sort of rhythmically, liturgically packaged sequence of slick ecclesiology, I love that phrase, the, um, is because I come to every moment deeply suspicious that when we come and we begin to sing, whether it's Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones, I'm glad I belong. I might be weak, but you're always strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me. So I, I learned, I can't remember when I learned that song. I can't remember how long. I don't have a song of earlier recollection. It's a children's song. I can't remember. But I come to these moments that as we come into a moment of worship, there is this saturating suspicion that we haven't come here to move through motions and check things off. And by the way, did you know there's a reason we do things we do here, biblically based? Because are you aware that the Spirit of God, listen closely, is housed in an earthen vessel or container? Paul writes that. He says that it's housed in an earthen vessel. That means it's an earthen vessel that walks through the door. It's an earth, you can laugh at this. It's an earthen vessel that came through Sunday morning exit traffic in Sevierville. He said, we should be more spiritual than that. It should be, but the case is, Paul says, it's an earthen vessel. 
It's an earthen vessel that may have fussed with your husband or wife last night or on the way here. It's an earthen vessel that got a phone call on the way here of something that disrupted your life and information you didn't want to get while driving here, but you came here. It was that earthen vessel that walked through the back door of the church. Interestingly enough, in an Old Testament model of worship that I've instructed hundreds of worship leaders, Numbers 10, one one example, it says, listen, the people, when you call them to the doorway of the tabernacle to worship, do it with the particular sound of the trumpet. Make it upbeat, make it full of gladness of heart and summon them there so you you will discover here, by the way, when you walk in the door, Dan, will t- Dan could st- stand and finish telling you this right now. We don't pick a brand new song for the first song out of the box. It's going to be a song that most of you can probably sing a part of without looking at the string. Why? Because an earthen vessel has walked through the door filled with everything in the world, and we need to create a song that responds. It'll typically be a song with somewhere between 100 to 120 beats a minute. Why? Because it said, make it full of gladness of heart. It'll be a song that carries lyrics full of opportunities and the possibilities of God should you step into a moment of worship. Why? Because Numbers 10 says that's the way you call them from the outlying parts of the camp because the outlying parts of the camp is you came in from a tough week. You came in from every distracted thing in the world. You came in from a whispering hiss of the serpent that's still telling you what you won't be in this new decade and in this next year and that the residue and legacy of the past will be the predominating voice for your future and you're fighting against that. That's the earthen vessel. That's the mind. That's the emotion that walks through the door. So there very much is a reason why we go through the sequence that we do here. We do it out in children's ministry in the same way. It's thought about and it's prayed over. It calls us in from the outer camp to the doorway of the tabernacle so that when we get there, as we begin to experience the presence of the Lord, then it begins to change. You say, wow, there really is a rhyme and reason to what we do. Yeah, it's biblically based. But I come to every one of these moments believing that there's someone in this room that doesn't need slick orthodoxy in a sequence of ecclesial expression nicely packaged on Sunday morning. There's one person on the fringe of the crowd that was on the fringe of every crowd that Jesus assembled, that their names we don't always know. As a matter of fact, most of the time we don't, but we know their pain and we know their suffering and we know they needed an encounter with God. And it wasn't a slick assemblage or another agenda that would satisfy the need. And we hear it time and time again. So I want to tell you the thing I'm convinced of is new hope will always be a place of awkward worship. It'll always be a place where there's a sense of holy hesitation because there's something bigger than the container we can manufacture to hold God in 60 or 75 minutes. It's that place. It's that place here right now. The passage of scripture that we've looked at so many times here as we've done life together comes from Paul. It's 1 Corinthians 11. Everyone say 1 Corinthians 11. It's Paul telling the story of of an encounter. Um, And I'm going to skip by the first six verses. Let's start at verse 23. Amanda, please. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread It's a reminder of the most extreme provision of redemption. Hear me. This verse, that in the night he was betrayed. There's a reason why it's phrased. 
of the most extreme provision of redemption for the most extreme point of violation and failure. See, I could do a whole sermon, if not a whole sermon series off the one verse. Please, here's the example. That Jesus, on the night that he was fully aware that he would be intentionally betrayed, it wasn't by a person that said, I didn't come to ask for anything. I just want to hang out. I don't want to be a blessing. Judas strategically betrayed him for his own agenda to try and get him to do something and become something, the Messiah, I believe, to try and get him to act in a fashion because Judas believed in his power. I believe Judas believed in what he believed as much as anybody in the room. But I believe he was trying to manipulate and push Jesus into an action of something that was far more uh, politically associated for the nation of Israel, but Jesus wouldn't do that. And so he was betrayed intentionally, I believe, because he wouldn't do what Judas had hoped he would do. It's that night, that's how this starts off, that in the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and the cup. And see, I told you that it was the Last Supper. You see, once the, the lamb, watch, died, then literally roasting and cutting and sacrificing a physical lamb, not only was it not any longer a necessity, it no longer accomplished anything. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? That, that it no longer accomplishes anything. The lamb once and for all was slain. And so it was the last supper, the good news. It was the last day that that old covenant was in effect and there would soon be a brand new one in effect. So he said, I received this. Now where he goes, verse 26, 24 says, and when he had given thanks and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this and remember of me, remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after supper saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us remember the death uh, for verse 26, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I've done extensive study. If you want to hear it, there's two or three MP3s. Send me an email at tom at newhopeonline. Tom at newhopeonline. I'll send you notes. I'll send you the link to the MP3 of the, of the, of the more extended teaching. Therefore, here comes the phrase, whoever eats and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I wanted to get there and say one more thing, and then we're going to come to the table of the Lord. If you grew up in church, and many of you did, we're in the Bible Belt. We're not in the northeast of the United States or the northwest. So many of you grew up in or around church, and many of you encountered this verse of scripture being read where it said, whoever eats in an unworthy fashion, and it would often be followed by something. If you've done something wrong this week and you come to the table of the Lord, you better not eat or drink of the cup because watch what scripture says. Okay, here we go. Shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, but a man must examine himself and doing so doing he is not, uh, he is to eat of the uh, bread and drink of the cup. Now it goes on to say, that I leave those verses out? It appears that I may have. That um, uh, Do I have verse 29 up there? I can't see that little print um, all the way back there. Looks like I left it off of here. But it goes on to say, for this reason, hang on, for this reason, uh, it says many of you, what does that say back there? For he who uh, does not drinks and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. And then it goes on to say, for, uh, because of this, some of you are sick and you've died early. 
Oh my goodness. How many of us scare half the people in the room away from coming down here? Well, I, you know, I better think about this real carefully. Can I tell you about the word unworthy? Who doesn't drink of it, in an, who drinks in an unworthy? It's the negated term for axios, anaxios. The word means a scale that you weigh the worth on. And the language is this. Don't come to the table of the Lord in a casual manner. It does say that. And that's what the larger text, if we would have started at verse 17, it says, hey, you, you have places at home you can eat and drink and do your stuff. That's not what's happening here. Don't come in a casual fashion. What does that mean? Yeah, okay, it's juice and crackers, bam. But there is something intrinsically sown into this act of worship. Please look this way. Almost done. The same way we talk about what happens when we lift up holy hands in worship. I can send you links for the extended teaching on that. We don't do it because we're charismatic or Pentecostal or whatever brand you want to put on us. We do it because it's a way of engaging a, 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 a transaction, a point of, tra I call transdimensional worship. This reaches from earth into heavens because it says where there's an uplifted hand here, there's a God there who reaches back from heaven's side and says what you make binding on earth shall have been made binding in the heavenlies. And there is a God that response. See, I believe that. You say, yeah, man, I believe that. I believe when we sing, when we pray, when we declare that, that I can say, Father, over our home in 2020, over this church, that, that I can say, uh, uh, Father, Hans is the principal of that school, school. Lift your hand, son. I'll walk out here in the dark. They won't be able to see me on the camera. I pray it's Northview Primary. Primary. Father, I pray for, stand to your feet. I pray for every child that he has any voice of representation yes. to. Lord, increasingly in our culture, we are disallowed from speaking anything of personal faith in any direct fashion. But Father, this young man is the anointed of the Lord in whom the fragrance of eternity abides. There's something in the realm of the Spirit that just goes out around us as believers because we are the anointed in whom the anointing dwells. I pray in this school year, perhaps Lord, as Peter would write, without even a word being said, that those under his care, those who statistically half of them or more come from broken homes. Father, statistically at this school, there's a disproportionate level of poverty where children in that school don't even have enough to eat. Many of them come every morning without breakfast. Father, I pray in this school, may he know he's been strategically planted there. And without a word being spoken, Father, may he walk around those halls with hands uplifted while they're still empty, praying blessings, becoming a point of binding a transaction between worlds. And may you reach back from another realm and somehow grace that place with the intangible realities that may be measured on some chart about kids that seem to be learning disproportionately, uh, kids that seem to be recovering, kids that seem to be pushing back against poverty. They may not find a way of quite nailing it down, but we will know what has happened because the people of God have lifted their hands between heaven and earth and we're silly enough to believe that you reach back with something that can't be quantified in Jesus' name. That's another good place to shout unto God. A lamb for every home. I'm going to tell you the one thing as pastor, if I were to tell you this year, that you're going to come to the table and say, Father, Dan, you can come back out if you want, son. Come to the table of the Lord and say, I want to reclaim this. See, because 
taking of it in an unworthy manner is simply this, coming to the table of the Lord and saying, Lord, there's no way I can estimate the power that came through the cross of Christ into releasing my past, redeeming my future, just setting me free in every imaginable way. There's no way, but I don't want to leave a bit of it on the table. See, I just laid this here, and there's a little crumb. I want you to create a mental image of, you know, God. You say, that's silly. Maybe. I'm not talking about crumbs made from flowers. I'm talking about an act of worship that says, Father, I don't want to come and leave one crumb of possibility in this act of worship. It's not a casual gesture expression. I don't know how bread in a cup translates to some trans-dimensional expression of worship, but your word says it in the same way you said, if I kneel, things happen. You say, when I sing a song, a throne is somehow transformed, and your authority comes into that moment by reason of a song. You say, if I lift hands, you say, if I lay hands on somebody, that there's something that happens in that physical expression. By the way, a fun book to read this year, go find C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. Every student needs to read that. It's a story written about an older demon telling a younger demon how to, to, to uh, deceive and conquer their, the believer they've been assigned to. It's a great book. And in it, it says, oh, and make sure you convince them that physical gestures of worship mean nothing. That that's beneath the thinking person. They matter not legalistically you don't have to raise you don't have to do anything you can do anything you want you don't have to do a thing but when I say you can walk to this today and say father I don't know that I get it but I've come in worship I, I'm I see I've got this picture going on in my head I'm telling you at some point we're gonna have the money at this church where I can hire an animator because of the pictures that are in my head when we come to the threshold of worship we can come I study it I teach it I break it down but when it finally comes to engaging God I I, I want you to um, oh got it Jumanji okay that means half the room here won't get this but all the kids and everybody under 40 will have seen Jumanji Okay, for all of you that saw Jumanji, um, remind Amanda, I need to find that clip. Dan, I need that clip for next Sunday so I can come back and make sense to the other half of the room. It's a game they play, and they don't even know what they're doing. They switch it on. It has, watch this, it has a power. They can't determine its source. Okay, all the stuff that's there. And all this, they try to unplug it, but it still works. And they push the button, and all of a sudden, they begin to disassemble molecularly, and they appear in another world, reassembled in an entirely different character, most of them preferable, to the existence they had. Beloved, can I tell you, I can break down worship for you, take the verses and do all of that, but when it finally comes to engagement, you reach across into another world where there is just this, at a spiritual level, this molecular disassembling that happens where you just come into the presence of God, and when you walk away, he says, let me just sort of put you in a little bit better shape than when you walked in, and then we, we pop back into this side, and it's like, wow, talking about a makeover, baby. 
I'm going to get an animator that can do this. You watch. It's going to happen before you get rid of me. It'll be a lot of fun because you say, oh, that's what was living in that whack job's head all these years. If I could say, I've said this five times, but if I could say one thing to you, I want you to come to the table of the Lord and I want you to say these words. Father, I've come to receive the fullness of your word and worth, word and worth. Whose word will be final? I want to talk to you this morning about John 14, about things that I've taught you a hundred times, and this morning I saw it all over again, and at a whole new level, about God bringing back the finality of His Word. If I could pray one thing, it's, Lord, in 2020, may the people of New Hope, may Your Word be final. It's why one more time for the 10th year in a row, we're coming to do the Read Initiative. We'll begin it next Sunday morning at 6 a.m. We're going to read the entirety of the Word of God through, and then we're going to have a night of worship and blessing on Thursday night, and we're going to amp the worship up this year uh, about 10 notches. To engage God and then we're going to walk around in every picture and every home that's here we're going to pray over every one of them by name a prayer of blessing in 2020 that the Word of God and I don't mean just the words off the pages but the finality we're going to read every word in a final sense and then say may the Word of God be the last word in their life because here's the deal I it hit me again I live in the first three chapters of Genesis I believe they're the lens through which we must interpret Scripture. And so here's the thing that happens. It hit me of all times. I'm just living in it. I've asked God to make it in my mind more and more. And so Genesis 3, first verse came through. It had to be God because I wasn't like quoting Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. But it happened, Jeremy, when I was walking through the front door of Sam's. Great spiritual moments happen in Sam's. In case you didn't know, there will be a Lowe's and a Sam's Club in heaven. God told me. I feel close to God when I go to both of those stores. I walk through the front door. By the way, elders and prayer counselors, whoever's going to be serving at these different stations, please go ahead and hop up and come down here. But watch this. I walk through the front door, and at the front door, there's a Verizon or or DirecTV person every time. Going out, there's a vinyl siding salesman every time, or windows. And you come walking in. Everybody listen to me. I'm done right here. Because here's what I'm going to pray for you to get deliverance from. And it hit me. The guys, it's always this winsome personality, type I, type, type A guy. You know, they're young, they're good looking, they're just assertive. And they come walking, I came walking in, Hans, and, and he comes up and, and he says, I, actually, this one happened on the way out. He got me. I made the mistake of making eye contact. I have a yes face. Oh. it's funny it really is funny if we're in a foreign country like going through one of the dumps or something or through a depressed area I can be with a group of 30 pastors the people on the street will pick me every time every time they'll come to me do you have anything yes you can have my shoes you know you can have just at all so I made the mistake and of being in and looking he comes up hey man nice sweater you have on there now see here's the deal We both knew that he didn't mean what he just said. There's something in our DNA, DNA, we we know that, see? We both knew that. But for some reason, that stupid gene that's on every human being, you feel the need to engage. Nice sweater you got there, man, you're looking good. Well, thank you, you know, it's a new year, so we started this conversation. Hey, by the way, see, we know 
It's a conversation, and that guy doesn't want to talk to me about my sweater or how a 62-year-old guy looks who's gained 14 pounds over the holiday season. We both know it's radically disingenuous, but we somehow, there's the stupid gene. We want to engage. Enter Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, and he came up to Eve and says, Hey, has God said you can't eat of any tree in the garden? She knew that he didn't say that. And she knew that all he had to say was four verses later, God was about to show up. I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, we've talked about that. And they heard the God at spirit time, the Hebrew says. And, the God, and she should have said, when, she, when he engaged, she said, wait, 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 wait. You know what, before I even bother engaging you, uh, God's about to show up here any minute. You can just ask him for yourself. See, I've learned that. When I'm with Brenda, somebody grabs me and says, hey, you interested in it? Talk to my wife. <laughs> yeah. She has the true gift of mercy. You know the definition of mercy is? God refusing to join me in my opinion of me above his opinion of me. Or remember we studied it for so long, the 74 times in the Old Testament. All you got to do is put in, say no. God is the say no to everything that would try to find a place in my life. God, mercy says no. Mercy is not niceness of God. See, my wife has the gift of mercy. Talk to her. Would you be interested if I, no. Well, how about that's a nice dress, no. Can I just talk to you about no? Some of you need to invoke the God of mercy into your life this year. Some, watch, watch, watch. Someone not only needs to accept his word as the final of word, but you need to let him have the final word. See, we think we have to deal with all of these echoes and whispers of the past. Well, do you know you can't do that? What, really? Well, you know what your mother and your father and your grandparents did, and you've just inherited that. Wow, is that the truth? My prayer for you as you come to the table of the Lord, that you would walk away in a worthy fashion. Father, in 2020, there's perhaps no other greater expression than the cross of Christ that represents the fullness of your word and your promise that started in the opening chapters of Genesis that said a problem's going to happen, but I'm sending one. I'm sending one that will crush the head of this serpent, and it will happen. I'm sending him, and he's going to come through a cross, and Ephesians will write, but we overcame them on the cross, triumphing over them before all mankind. I I'm going to send an apostle who will write, if they'd have had any idea what they were doing on the cross, they never would have done that, because it was on the cross that they were crushed. And it's, Father, that I come with no greater expression of worship than the power of the word expressed through the cross. And somehow as I ingest this to the center of my being, I give thanks for the bread. Would you just do your hand like this before you come? Would you lift up a hand of oath and covenant? I give thanks for the bread, Father, that you said is broken and given for my sin. And for this cup of your blood 
that is in the new covenant that's before me. Do you just see the little poetic inference? Watch this. He had a double thing. I'm not saying it's restrictive theology if you're a pastor visiting, but I'm just saying, look, there's my past, there's my future, that, that you gave the bread to take care of the sin places that I've been, and you gave the covenant to pave a new covenant in where I'm headed yet. You took care of it all. And Father, I want to receive the full worth of your word. I want you to be the final word in my life in 2020 like never before. Put your hands down. And now I'm going to ask you without your heads bowed and eyes closed, who, need the, who needs <laughs> who needs to call on their God and say, um, can you step in here? Did you know there's never a moment when God says, no, I'm busy. I'm sorry, dude, I, I, I got no. And God steps in and for every whisper and hiss that comes, he brings the full worth of the cross with one word. No, no. And hell starts to whisper, God, uh, Father, God, no, 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 mercy says no. Can I just, I, just one more second. The blind man cried out, son of David, have mercy on us. Because every description of me right now functionally is that I'm blind and always will be blind. And it said that Jesus stopped and had mercy on them. He said no to the blindness. Paul would write of his own issues and he says, I was a murderer, I was a transgressor, I killed people, and yet God great in his mercy, God in his say no-ness, found me. One that absolutely unworthy. He knocked me off my donkey and said, I have a different plan for you. Well, God, I think what I need to do is keep coming. No. Well, God, what I've been raised to, no. Well, God, I, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Jew of Jews circumcised as a keeper of the, no. Father, I pray that when we come away from the table of the Lord, the first person you would scream no at is us because we've embraced a word other than yours. And the whisper of that serpent will echo, and I pray that you would silence it. Grab us by the face. I pray in the name of Jesus. You made the mistake of always sitting on the front row, son. But I pray, watch this, as you come to the table of the Lord, and anybody that needs this, just grab me. I'm serious. Father, whatever may echo in his, in his life or heart in the name of Jesus. Now open your eyes so I don't scare you, okay? I pray that they would have an encounter as they come to the table of you, Lord. You grabbing them like a son or a daughter right before and looking them in the eyes and saying, No, 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 no. That you would silence the echo of the residue of the past and liberate us toward the preferred future that you've declared in Jesus' name. Stand here. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.